Jesus, as we move from remembrance to seeking the word of truth that's been left for us. Holy Spirit, illuminate these scriptures for us today, please. Help us see the deep truths that you have for us as you speak into our lives through the power of your word. The clutter and the distractions that may be entering our minds, God, would you please take those away that we could focus on you? so good for us to be here in the house of the Lord and we're grateful God's people said amen amen I release the children through grade four as they go off to the classes that are prepared for them and I would invite you to take your copy of God's word if you would please and open up to Philippians chapter one Philippians chapter 1, as we look at this passage together, and we're, we're going to stop and consider the, the mission of our church, and the mission of our church is uh, knowing Christ and making him known, and as Karen and I were away, we had opportunity to visit several churches, and, and truthfully, as, as Dorothy would say in Clicker Heels, there's no place like home. Uh, it's good to be back, but as we went to these churches, it was, it was exciting for us to see uh, other churches who had this same mission statement and 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 to realize that it it really does find its deepest meaning in in, in the great commission as as Jesus told us to go into all the world and make disciples and and so it's this idea of of knowing Christ and and making him known and uh, as as we were gone as I was gone I spent a, a great deal of time in this letter and if you know me well you know this letter to the church in Philippi is is a significant uh, part of God's word and and as I've looked at it, it it just occurs to me that that this is Paul as as a pastor writing to a church that he deeply loves he has a, a deep love for this church and he loves this church because of the way that they've partnered with him in, in the ministry of the gospel. He, he says towards the end of the letter that, these, that this church in Philippi was the only church that supported him as he went out and, uh, for a period of time, that even when he was in Thessalonica, they sent him aid again and again when he was in need, that there was a, a partnership that they had, and that partnership was in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and this letter is... is for me, it just permeates the truth that we are rescued by God for the purpose of declaring God. We're rescued by the, by the saving blood of Jesus Christ so that we can, know, we can make known the saving power of Jesus Christ in a world that desperately needs to, to know how to be set free from the bondage they're in because of their sin. And as I look at this letter, and I, I just, I'm overwhelmed because in many ways, the, Paul, the way that Paul feels about this church in Philippi is the way that I feel about you. It's, it's so many places in this letter reveals my heart towards you, the church that God has entrusted to me. And so I'd like to look at it and, and see the prayer that Paul has for the church in Philippi. And how that's also the prayer that I have for us, for you, as we continue to move forward in the call that God has on our lives. So as we look at Scripture, could I ask you to stand, please, as I, I read this passage for us?
I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Oh, Lord God. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for Paul and this church in Philippi. But God, I want to thank you right now that as, as, as this letter was sent, you looked forward and you knew, God, that we'd be opening this passage today in this room at this moment in time. And so you have something fresh to apply to our lives right here. God, help us not take that lightly but rather help us open our, our hearts and our minds to you. Help us see, Lord, the places where we need correction and we need reproof. Instruct us, God, that we can go away from here differently because we've been in the presence of Almighty God. Speak, Lord. Your children are listening. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated, unless you want to be like the, the people in Nehemiah who stand for the whole presentation. No, okay. So, we're moving into this letter. And I, I love the truth of this letter, and I, I love it for this church in Philippi, and I love it for us. And so, as we look at the truth as it applied to Philippi, I want to ask us to consider how it can apply to us as well. And the big idea for today is this, that abounding love leads to the glory and praise of God. Abounding love leads to the glory and praise of God. Or said another way, God receives glory and praise when his church lives out his love. God receives glory and praise when his church lives out his love. Amen. So as we look at this and we see it, and it's in this prayer, the first thing we see is that abounding love must be pursued. Abounding love must be pursued. And I see that where, where Paul says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. This idea of love, if we're going to bring glory and praise to God, it shows in the love that abounds in our lives and abounds out of our lives. It's important to see here that, that Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, my prayer is that your love would abound more and more. Now, this isn't a letter that he sent, and he said, you know, dear Margaret, I pray that your love would abound, you know, or, 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 or Greg, I pray that your love, or, you know, it wasn't that he was, he was sending this to an individual. He sent it to the church. He sent it to everybody. He said, my prayer is that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You see, it's so important to realize that we've been called together. We've been called out together 
to reveal the love of God. And, and it must be sought. The first thing we see is that this comes as a prayer that, that, that Paul recognizes and realizes there's nothing we can do of our own to want this. It's God who wills in us to act according to his purpose. And so he actually moves in us to give us the want to and the ability to do it. And so it's this prayer and we seek God that, that our love would abound. And not only ours, but, but the other churches in our area and the churches around the world, that every person who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, that the love that is in them would abound more and more. See, and it starts this beautiful thing where, where Paul says, my prayer is that what's begun in you will continue and, and be carried on to completion. So what we see is that, that there's an already aspect to this. He says that your love, so there's already love that is in these people in the church in Philippi. They've already received the love of God. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, when, when you come to a place and you recognize the wrath of God's being poured on you because of your sin and you, you repent and you turn and you ask God to forgive and he rescues, he saves, he renews, he, he regenerates through the Holy Spirit and you become a new creation. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and love comes into your life because God is love. And so love comes into your life in a way that's much different than it was before you knew Christ. And so what Paul is praying for this church in Philippi, he's saying, I pray that the love that is in you, the, the presence of God that is in you, will abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. It's that, that, that love that, that has begun in them. And you know that when you first trust Christ as your Savior, it's, it's, it's this, this amazing experience, but it's like, wow, what really is this? And then you begin to seek God. And you begin to, to look at what does it mean to know him more? And how do you grow and continue to grow? What I love about this letter is Paul makes it really clear. He says this is a process that continues. He says in the second chapter, he says, not that I've already attained all this or I've already been made perfect. Okay, he's saying, this is happening in my life too. I'm continuing to grow in my understanding of who God is, my, my knowledge of him, and, and I'm growing in my love for him, and his love for me is abounding more and more and more, and the implication is more and more and more and more and more, and it continues in my life that that love should pour into me. The greatest virtue, we're told, in Corinthians is love. The greatest of these is love. They came to Jesus and they said, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love God with all that you have. But the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, we, we love God and we love people. If you come to a place where you've trusted the love of God and the love of God is beginning to pour into your life and it begins to abound in your life, the way that it reveals yourself is in a love for people. It can't help but display itself in that way. 
as you allow that love to come into your life and abound more and more. Knowledge and depth of insight. Paul said, I consider everything rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I've lost all things. The song that we sang that knowing you Jesus I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. There's this unbelievable truth that comes from knowing Christ and knowing the love that he has for us. Knowledge and depth of insight. This idea of of being able to, to see him for who he is. We live in a day and age where most of the things we learn, we learn in sound bites, don't we? You know, there's a news story that should take probably a 45 minutes to tell about, and it's 14 lines on the bottom of the, of the screen. And if it's more than 10 words, we lose interest and we don't read it. I found that my emails, if I don't have exactly what I want people to understand in the subject line, there's a good chance they won't read the body of the email, unless you put some pictures or things in there. Because we learn through entertainment. We've become a culture that loves to be entertained. And so we learn through entertainment. And entertainment needs to be changing quickly in order to keep my interest. And so delving into learning things and into knowing things becomes very hard. And some of you have, have um, very important jobs. I know that when I go and see my doctor... I want to be really sure that my doctor hasn't learned what he does by sound bites, <laughs> right? Or, you know, or by watching the medical shows on TV. And now he's like, I could do an open heart surgery for you. <laughs> what? No, you want someone who knows the heart. And listen, when we come to a place where we know the love of God, it stirs in us a desire to know him and to consider everything else of no value compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing him. Not knowing about him, but knowing him. So does my love for God stimulate me to know him more? Not not just to know about him, but truly know him deeply. And am I praying that for others? Are Are you praying that for the church? As you, as you think about us here, do you, do you pray that we could be this, that, that the love of Jesus which has changed our life could just grow in us so dramatically that the world would take a look and say, what in the world is going on there? Because Jesus said the world will know we are his disciples by the way we love each other. Paul goes on to say that, that my prayer is that you'll have this same love for each other and for God. So how are we praying that for each other, realizing that we're in this together? Because abounding love leads to the glory and praise of God. You see, that's our goal, is the glory and praise of God. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, the very first question is, you know, what is the chief end of man? And the chief end of man is to to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To consider how it is with every aspect of our lives we can put the spotlight on God that people could see what God is doing in our lives and to absolutely enjoy that, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength.
The second thing we see is that abounding love brings discernment and pureness. Discernment and pureness. Paul says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ or for the day of Christ. We could discern what is best. This would be important for this church of Philippi. That they'd be able to look within the culture and the society that they were in and to be able to discern what are the best things to do and how can they move forward in those things. You remember with Mary and Martha. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha, you've chosen wonderful things, but Mary's chose what is best. So what are the things that are best in your life? Oh boy. We live in a world where there are tons of options. And every day, more and more options are available. Do you know that my parents, as far as I know, never had to wrestle with whether or not to let me play with a certain video game? Right? Tim, did your parents wrestle with that? No? You know, my parents never had to decide what age I should be to have a cell phone. options. We are bombarded daily with options. Used to be you'd go to the store for Special K and it was an easy trip. Now it's a conundrum with strawberries, with protein, with almonds. You know, I mean, it's like, really? Can it just be Special K? Options all the time available to you. And many of them are good. Many of them are good. As a matter of fact, if, if you look at, at 1 Corinthians 10.23, Paul says this. He says, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. You see, there, there are all sorts of things that are available to you. And, and many of them are, are good, but what's best? What's best? And how do you discern that? Paul's saying, I, I am praying that your love just abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. So here's the deal. The more that I know who God is, the more I'm able to determine what is best for my life. The more that I know of the nature and the character of God, the more that I know what his desires are, what his role is for me, the more that I'm able to discern what is best for my life. And the way that I discern that is by, the, by reading and looking and, and examining what he has revealed about himself in Scripture so that I can know his nature and I can know his character. And then I'm able to discern what it is that's best for my life, and so are you. In 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter, chapter 4, Paul says this to, to young Timothy, the man he was pouring into. Hopefully each of you have someone you're pouring into. Chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tale, but rather train yourself to be godly. 
For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Now see, that's, that's huge. Don't miss that. Godliness has value for the present life and the life to come. Now why is that significant? Because listen, if we're going to determine what is best, if we're going to discern what is best, we have to realize that God has an eternal plan. God's working on an eternal plan. Listen, you are an eternal being. You will live forever. If you know Christ, you'll live forever in hell, in heaven. If you don't know Christ, forever in hell. See, so you, you're an eternal being, and as such, you're making decisions that have eternal consequences. And so as we, as we get to know God, we recognize that he has a plan for eternity, and that plan is that, that Jesus would come into the world and make himself known so that the, the lost could be sought and saved. And we realize that that's God's plan, and, and so we begin to deter, discern what is best based on how can that plan go forward. How can the decisions that I make, yes, there's decisions I need to make for five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road. Should God bless me with time here for that? But listen, there's, there's things that extend beyond me and beyond my life on earth. So are you, are you taking the decisions that you, that you need to make and are you discerning what is best in light of eternity? Because godless, godliness has value for here and for forever discerning what is best. And, and this idea of pure, being pure and blameless, and it says until in the NIV, but, but maybe think of for the day of Christ. Christ is coming. And how can I be pure for that day that Christ comes? How can I work to be ready? Listen, the righteousness of Christ has been credited to me, and, and Paul talks about that. He says, I don't want to have a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith and is through Christ the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. So there's this idea that there's a righteousness that comes into my life by Jesus Christ. And, and, and I'm able to live that out in a pureness. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, I think, gives us a glimpse into that a little more, more fully. As 2 Corinthians chapter 7, the very first verse of that chapter, it says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from Everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. May I read that for you again? Since we have these promises, dear friends, and if, if you're interested during the week, look back and see what those promises are because they're significant. Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So how do I become pure and blameless? I become pure and blameless by, by ridding myself of everything that contaminates me. Now stop and think about your yesterday. How many things in your yesterday attempted to contaminate your view and your understanding of God? Because you see, Satan's plan and purpose is to cause your view of God to be, to be distorted. And we see that in the garden. 
When he came to Eve and he said, did God really say? Is that really what God said? Let's distort your view of God. And he, he accomplished that. He tried it with Jesus in the desert during the temptations. And, and he tried to distort Jesus' view of God. Good luck with that. Because Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. And so Jesus showed us the way to withstand the temptation of Satan to twist our view of God, those things that contaminate our mind, the things that keep us from knowing who God is so that we can live out the fullness of life as God has intended. And it's to take away the distortion of who God is. And listen, the entertainment industry and the world and and all the things that we encounter that are not of God are doing whatever they can to present God differently than God's word presents himself. And if we're not careful, we get sucked into believing a lie about who God is. And we believe that we can create God in our image. And that if God was love, then this. Or if God was kind, then this. Or if God was merciful, then this. And we can, we can, if we're not careful, begin to design a God in our own image. And then we believe that we know God more, but we actually know him far less. So how are we gaining together to be pure and to get rid of everything in our life that might contaminate our thoughts and our understanding of who God is? so that we can discern what is best and be ready for his return. So question, have I discovered that the more my love abounds, the more I can see and stand against temptation? The more I can see and stand against temptation. Because listen, abounding love leads to the glory and praise of God. God receives glory and praise when his church lives out his love, when it just flows out of us in amazing and powerful ways. And we see that in this final point, that abounding love is filling. Abounding love is filling. Paul says that that I pray this happens so that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. I love that. What does it mean? What could that possibly mean to be filled with the fruit of righteousness? Well, there's this unbelievable truth, as I said, that the fruit of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives that moment that we trust Christ as our Savior. And power is a person. The person of the Holy Spirit pours himself into our lives and God indwells us. And and along with that comes the fruit of God. The the fruit of the Spirit is described in Galatians. As I said, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now we understand within each of us is this battle that goes on between our sin nature and this new nature because if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We have a right standing before God. And so we have this this new nature, the spirit in us. And and so circumstances come in our lives. And we have opportunity to deal with that out of the sin nature or deal with it out of the new nature. And will the fruit of righteousness in my life call me to, to take on those things head on with the spirit of God? Or will it be spirit of self? Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. As a result, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to preach the word of God. 
more courageously and fearlessly. See, nowhere in this letter, Paul's in prison. Paul's in prison, and prison back then wasn't all that great. He's in prison. But he's not sending a letter back to the church in Philippi saying, pray that I get out of prison. Pray that God rescues me. Pray that God... No, he's sending back and saying, I want to tell you the praise that's happening because of your partnership in the gospel. I know you're going to understand this because I know you realize that everything we do is about the gospel of Christ because that's what we've been partnering in. And so I want you to know that the gospel of Christ is, is being proclaimed because of my situation. And he's like, because of this, I rejoice. And so he encourages them. He says it's been granted on you, granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you are now going through the same struggle you saw I had. And so he, he tells this wonderful church in Philippi that he loves so deeply that you have a gift coming from God and it's called suffering. Amen. <sighs> But you see, if I'm discerning what is best, I understand and know that what's best is for the most possible people to be rescued from the pit of hell. Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost, and he has entrusted that to us. We come together. We gather together so that we can know Christ. We gather together so that we can encourage each other to know Christ, to know him well so that we can go out from this place and make him known. Whether that be in, in, in your workplace, in your school, or somewhere around the world. We come together, we encourage each other to know Christ well, so that we can go and make him known. Because his love abounds in us. It bubbles up in us. Listen, could I ask you, is the work of the church a high priority in your life? Is the work of the church a high priority in your life? And you're all thinking, oh man, he's going to ask me to work in the nursery. <laughs> that's, that's not what I'm talking about. Not right now. I understand there's, there's things for you to do here as we equip each other to know Christ more. But I'm talking to you about the work of the church. The work of the church is making Christ known through lives that have been changed by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ. Is that a priority in your life? Because, listen, if you've been rescued, you've been rescued so that you can show other people how to be rescued. And you've been rescued to show other people that it's really great to be rescued <laughs> and, and to live a life that's free and to do that in such a way that people are drawn to that. Now, what I'm saying is that if all of us can be praying this for each other, that, that the love of Christ would just abound in our lives in such a way that it's, it's, it's inescapable as we infiltrate the world. And we're encouraged to be doing this every day. Now, it doesn't mean we take our Bibles with us and we, and we go up to somebody like this. That's not what I'm talking about. It may be that God calls you to do that. But each one of us has been equipped and called by God to, to reveal him in a world, in the world he's placed you in, to be the light where he's placed you. 
And it could be that your neighbor across the street's having surgery. And you've never talked to him, and you're going to go up and you're going to knock on the door and say, is there anything I can do for you? Can I mow your lawn? Can I pray with you? Can I, is there any way that I can show the love of God in a way that I haven't because I've been so focused on me and my need and my situation, my circumstance, that I haven't taken a look at what God's trying to do through my life? Paul didn't ask to be taken out of his situation of darkness. He recognized that he was the light of the love of Christ and that the place that he was put was dark apart from the light of the love of Christ that was shining through him. And so he celebrated the fact that he was the one who was trusted by God to be the light in the place that he was sent. Are we ready to grab hold of that for our lives? Are we ready to encourage each other in that? Do we see that we gather together to encourage each other to know Christ more so that we can go out and make him known? So what are the ways that the fruit of righteousness is displayed in my life? And how is it impacting the work of the church? How's that happening in your life? So what? What are you going to do with this? How can you have this begin to permeate your life? And how can you specifically make the love of Christ more fully known in every aspect of your life this week? Oh God, that's, that's a prayer for each of us. We long, Lord, to know the answer to this. And this is my prayer for you that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless till the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. Would you stand and hear God's good word for you? From Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or even begin to imagine according to his power that is at work within us. Think about that. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen? Amen. Boy, I release you this week to a week of work, witness, and worship. Amen.